Well, I have heard this particular verse quoted throughout my entire life. You've likely heard it many times as well. In fact, we read it together a moment ago in our psalm for today, Psalm 139. Lots of memorable sayings in this psalm, but the one I'm referring to is that first line in verse 13. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well-known verse indeed. But it wasn't until about a month ago on my first day at the Abbey of Gethsemane when I'm on sabbatical that I heard this particular verse put in a way I've never heard before in a fresh translation that caught me off guard. And I didn't come across it just once. In the span of 24 hours, I came across this verse put in this unique translation a total of four times. At our orientation meeting, the monk, who was the guest house director, quotes it with enthusiasm. And then, in my morning devotional guide based on Thomas Merton, I come across the verse a second time, again in the same translation. And then at lunch, I'm not kidding, I sit down at a table and glance at the wall right next to me where, lo and behold, there it is, a framed picture of Psalm 139.13, same translation. And finally, at prayers that evening, the entire psalm is chanted, so I hear the verse once more. It's like, hmm, maybe God's trying to tell me something. I don't know. Now, the translation of this verse comes from a version of the Psalter that is specifically designed for Trappist monks because it is written in a form and rhythm that makes it easier to chant. Well, no wonder I have never come across this verse before. I did not grow up chanting psalms. Now, you're probably wondering how this translation actually goes. Wait for it. Here it is. It says, I I thank you, God, for the wonder of my being. I'd never heard it put that way before. Isn't that powerful? I I thank you, God, for the wonder of my being. This psalm is a celebration of this incredible capacity that we have as human beings to showcase the glory and beauty of God through the wonder of our being. Each one of us in our own unique way. That there is no one just like you, and that each and every person deserves to be marveled at. I thank you, God, for the wonder of my being. But the thing is, this gift is a capacity, not a foregone conclusion. This displaying of God's glory that we are capable of, that we are created for, it doesn't just happen. No, it must be cultivated and nurtured over time. Because your salvation, if you will, is always a transformation, a work in progress, a slow process of becoming more and more of who you are meant to be. So that the more that you give yourself to God, the more human you become. The more glorious your uniquenesses shine out as image bearers. But this process is also fraught with danger. Because there are these other visions of life, let's call them, 
that constantly beckon us to give ourselves over to them instead. I mean, they're always making these promises that they can't keep. Promises about fulfillment and joy. Promises about peace and love. But in the end, these false visions, what they actually do is dehumanize us. They mute the wonder of our being. And we become less of who we are meant to be. Today is July 31st, which means for those of us who live in Jackson, it's 731 day. But for the church, today is the feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola, a 16th century Spanish soldier turned mystic who founded the religious order called the Society of Jesus, otherwise known as the Jesuits. Now, if you've never learned to appreciate St. Ignatius, or if you don't know anything about him, then today I hope to change that for you. All of us should care much about St. Ignatius. Why? Because his way of following Jesus has helped millions of people become more fully human, more fully alive than ever before. And during his younger years, boy, did Ignatius long to be fully alive. So much so that he bought into the visions of life that were being peddled in his day. Well, they're actually visions of life that have been peddled since the beginning of time. Visions, by the way, that never go away. They're just simply refashioned and repackaged. But specifically for Ignatius, he was driven by this vain desire for winning glory on the battlefield. And so he patterned his life after the stories of the Knights of Camelot and other tales of romantic chivalry. And so at 17, he joined the army. And according to one biographer, he loved to strut about with his cape flying open to reveal his tight-fitting hose and high boots that were fashionable in the day, along with his sword and a dagger at his waist. He was so proud. But apparently, he was actually an effective soldier as he fought many battles without injury, and he won numerous awards and honors. But then when he was 30, it all caught up to him when a cannonball shattered his right leg. Now, still longing to return to the field of combat, Ignatius submitted himself to several gruesome operations in an attempt to repair his leg so that he could run and and such. But these operations would only leave him with a lifelong limp. His military career was over. And so while lying in bed recuperating from his multiple surgeries, Ignatius asked for some sort of diversion. He wanted to pass the time reading about those stirring tales of chivalry, of knights doing these courageous deeds to impress the noble women. Except there were none of these books to be found in the castle that he was staying at. And so instead, his sister-in-law brought to him a book on the life of Jesus and another on the lives of the saints. And it was from this point on that his life would never be the same. As he read these books, his heart came alive, get this, to a new way to be human, a new way to find fulfillment in life, a new way to be fully alive, and that was to serve Christ and his kingdom. It is here in his service, Ignatius would say, 
that I learn to thank God for the wonder of my being. For now I am becoming more and more human, more of who God created me to be. But such an endeavor takes work. As the Apostle Paul says in our reading today from Colossians, there's much to do to strip off the old self with its practices. I love that Paul puts it with those words. The old self with its practices. And to be clothed with a a new self. And to have that renewed daily in the image of its creator. You, You have to train yourself. Train yourself to set your mind on things above. And that takes work. St. Ignatius figured this out pretty quickly. For as much as he tried to emulate the lives of St. Francis and St. Dominic and the other saints that he would read about, he discovered that he could not do this without training. Intense training in the spiritual life. In fact, St. Ignatius is probably most famous for his book entitled The Spiritual Exercises, where he lays out the work it takes to open oneself up to God so that he can do his transforming work in you. Just as physical exercises transform your body, so spiritual ones transform your soul, your very self. This is a new way to be human, to thank God for the wonder of your being. Our gospel passage this morning from Luke chapter 12 provides us with another St. Ignatius story of sorts. Except, unlike Ignatius, the man in this story never becomes fully human. That's because he's given his heart to another vision of life, another vision of being human, one actually that has a firm grip around the throat of the Western church. It's the vision that says, life consists in the abundance of possessions. Now, when you read this passage, Jesus tells a parable about this person. At first, uh, you know, on the surface of things, to use our language, this guy appears to be a good Christian person. I mean, there's no hint at the beginning of this story that he has acquired this land illegally or that he exploited his employees. There's just this one simple description. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. Well, that actually is Old Testament code for, hey, this is a righteous man. Because according to the Old Testament, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, then the Lord will make you, quote, abundantly prosperous. That's the phrase used in Deuteronomy 30. Abundantly prosperous. Especially, as Deuteronomy goes on to say, in the fruit of your soil. Surely then, the crowd at the beginning of this parable is thinking, well, here you go, this is a righteous man, a a good Christian person. His land produces abundantly, therefore he and God must be tight. But then the man opens his mouth and we get to look inside his heart. What should I do, he says, for I have no place to store my crops. I know I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. What's wrong with this, someone might say. I mean, to us industrious Americans, that sounds pretty savvy, doesn't it? And so we say, good for you. I mean, way to be innovative, expand your business, plan for the future. But that only goes to show how much we have in common with this man. Perhaps we didn't actually hear what he said. I mean, did you hear it? What should I do, 
I will do this. I will pull down. I will build larger ones because these are my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my, my, my. This man is completely self-absorbed. Everything is his so that he has no neighbor, no need for God. And the only words that sound halfway like a prayer are again spoken to himself. Verse 19, he says, And I will say to my soul, soul, with a capital S, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry, for you have found the good life. This is what it means to be human. How much different are we from this man? How much different are we from the young Ignatius? For we too have our visions of the good life, don't we? A vision that gets us up in the morning so we can get going. A vision that keeps us up at night because we worry. I mean, call it success. Call it ambition, a need for attention to look attractive. A desire to buy this or have that, to make your mark on the world. But I suppose it would be more honest just to call it sin. Yes, I know, we, we, we tend to think of sin as breaking the rules or disobeying the Bible. But at its heart, that's, that's really not what sin is. Sin is simply turning your back on God's love and God's grace. Which means if you're doing that, then you're giving yourself instead to an alternative way of being human. A way of living that actually destroys your own humanity, that makes you less and less human, less free, less alive. I mean, it, it's dreadfully ironic that the visions of life we turn to in order to find fulfillment, those are actually the visions of life that end up draining us empty, stripping away our humanity bit by bit. There's a reason church tradition speaks of sin as being, quote, deadly, right? You fool, God says. At the end of your life, you are found stripped of your humanity. We live in the most affluent and materialistic and image-driven of societies. And so we cannot think for a moment that we can swim in this water and not get wet with its visions of the good life. We cannot think for a moment that we can breathe in this air and not inhale the American dream as our primary focus in life. How many good Christian people don't figure this out until it's too late? Just like the rich man in Jesus' parable, or just like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, right, who laments, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. This endless search for meaning, for prestige, for success. I've spent my entire life chasing the wind. What a waste, he cries. What a waste. Well, praise the Lord that St. Ignatius figures this out before it was too late. That he models for us someone who, like the prodigal son, comes to his senses and discovers there's a new way to be human. 
that the visions of life peddled by our world only dehumanize us and lead us to the pigsty, the wonder of our being covered in mud. But as St. Ignatius learned, God has created us to be fully alive, free to become who we're meant to be, to love and accept love, to make good decisions, to experience the beauty of creation and the mystery of God's love. If only we would give ourselves fully to God and submit to the vision of life he has given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is here that we can truly say, along with St. Ignatius, I thank you, God, for the wonder of my being, for I am becoming more and more human, more of who you created me to be. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are created in your image, that we are created to reflect your goodness and beauty and glory to a world, to experience it, and then to share that life with others. Send down your spirit upon your people gathered here this morning, that we might be empowered to do the work, to open ourselves up to your transforming love and grace. Protect us from the visions of life that are being peddled by our world. And may we instead follow the example of St. Ignatius and his commitment and devotion to following Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.